0: Yeah, explain to musician. Them know it, but them can't do it.
1: What's up ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Mr. Mike Giant. He is a longtime friend. Longtime tattoo artist, and has acted as an accidental mentor uh, on a number of different occasions. He sat down for an interview via Skype from the Rebel 8 headquarters in San Francisco. We talk about upstate New York, New Mexico, spray cans and Christmas stockings, working in the morning, graffiti, grip tape drawing, street eye, utilization of space, fine art, ancestral karma, recognizing the real, power of symbols, Tattoo Bands, Patrick Conlon, Jason Kendall, Juan Puente, Stockholm Syndrome, Submitting to Pain, Buddhism Practice, Secret Teaching of All Ages, Hallucinogens, Rebel 8, The One, Fatal Clothing, Wizards and the Bliss Realm, Karma, and Bad I also quickly wanted to mention our, the film that Mike and I have been working on for the past year, which we didn't actually get to talk about during the interview. If you search Mike Maxwell and Mike Giant and Working Class together in Google search, it should bring up the Bread Truck Films, uh, Vimeo video, which is the trailer to the documentary that uh, that we've been working on. So make sure you go check that out. I'll put a link to it in the blog. Um, also linked up in the blog is the link to PayPal, which of course is the business end of this thing. If you want to donate to the show and are enjoying what you're hearing, make sure you go over there and click the link. Um, donate a buck, donate ten bucks, donate twenty bucks, whatever you could do. If you can't do anything, you know that's that's all right as well. Um, the show is always free. You could download it from iTunes. Uh, if you have any questions or are interested in sharing your opinions about the show, feel free to email me at info at And I'll be happy to get back to you. And if you heard the past show, I I think it'd be cool to start reading some some viewer emails. So I'd like to start doing that. So make sure you you get in contact. You could always send something through Facebook or through the website. Um, Make sure you go to MikeMaxwellArt.com and click on the blog, and you'll find all this information. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Mike Giant. Thank you for doing the show. I appreciate it. I know you're you're a busy dude. It takes some time to uh, to sit down and have a conversation. I, uh, I appreciate it. No problem. You grew up in New Mexico, right? Were you born there?
0: No. I was born in upstate New York, uh, in between uh, Rochester and Buffalo, kind of, in a place called Roche- in Rochester, uh, 1971. And I stayed there uh, until I was 8 years old. In 79, we moved to New Mexico, and I stayed there until... Ninety three, when I split for uh SF the first time.
1: What uh What are your parents
0: like? I'd say they're a working class. I was kind of like uh, do they call them latchkey kids? I'd just come home after school, and there'd be nobody there because both parents were at work.
1: Yeah, like you wore. Did you wear the key on your uh on your necklace?
0: Mm, I think I still had it in my pocket like I do today. <laughs> I,
1: there is a grip because, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood full of latchkey kids, which I was, of course, you know, because our parents had to work to be able to pay for just to pay for our food. And, you know, I would say at least half the kids that I that I hung out with wore a little, you know, had like a shoestring with their keychain on, you know, with their key around their neck or whatever.
0: I remember just the one key. <laughs> yep. Totally. That was our whole generation. My sister's uh, three years younger, so she always walked with me, you know? Mm-hmm. Until high school, of course, and then she didn't want to be seen with me at all. <laughs> <laughs> she drove to high school, and I walked, and I got there faster than her. <laughs> that was high school.
1: Did, uh, did, your, did your parents support, like, uh, creative avenues for you?
0: Absolutely. Any kind of occasion when they could uh, gift me with some new markers or pencils... Paper, anything like that, uh, you know, like learning tools, like Lincoln Logs, Legos, that kind of stuff. Uh, they were all all over it, even until I mean, to the point where I was getting spray cans in my uh, stockings at Christmas. You know, it was just they were down. It's funny.
1: Do you feel like that uh, that helped you? Did that give you enough encouragement to, to follow that creative path? Because we, obviously we all create things when we're young, and to keep moving out of that.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, it was it was a given for me. I mean, it's all I've ever known. You know, as soon as I could hold a pen, they were encouraging that I play with it, you know, and see what it could do. Um, and of course, as a little kid, I didn't make any distinctions between surfaces, so I drew on the walls and the tables. And, you know, on everything they try yeah. to keep paper in front of me. I suppose. My,
1: I'm you know? sorry. My dog, he um, he's had a belly ache for the last two days, and he's oh, yeah. scratching at the door. He's got fucking runny ass. I just got to take him out real quick. I'm sorry. I tried to uh, get him to go before we started, and he didn't. But uh, that's okay. He's he's telling me like it's time to go, son. So I'll yeah. be right back. It should only take me a minute. Cool. Sorry about that. <laughs> Again, I apologize. He's been spraying mud for, like, three days.
0: Yeah, if I was spraying mud, I'd want to get out, too. Yeah. All right.
1: So, <laughs> That's for real. I found this OG at this little shop in the hood down in North Park. This little medicinal shop that, I swear to God, it's been putting me to sleep at, like, 10.30 every night. Just, I'm like, what happened? I'm, I'm, I'm asleep all of a sudden. Normally, you know, I yeah. can get to about midnight.
0: Just hey, putting. Last few nights, I've been crashing at 9.00 fantastic that old man <laughs> getting up at dawn gotta draw
1: <laughs> drawing at dawn
0: uh, i i'm the best in the morning for sure yeah. i know most artists prefer to work in the evenings that i at least that i know but yeah i'm, I'm real good in the morning
1: i found I, I i like working during the day too like i'm a like 10 to 5 guy but then it keeps going late into the
0: evening as well until i can't yeah sleep i get tired once, once my body gets to a certain level of tiredness, I just, I got to tap out. It requires a lot of concentration for me to draw, so it's uh, it's one of those things. Even sketching requires a lot of intention, you know? Yeah. Uh, I see you, but I didn't, I have, can't hear you. No, it's better.
1: I wonder if, it, it almost sounded like the headphones popped out a little bit or something. But... Mm, I don't know. So, <laughs> anyhow. That's the, the the slight difficulties with technology, but it's so amazing that we can sit here and have a conversation while you're uh, 800 yeah. miles on the other side of the state.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Um so did when did you get into graffiti? What what mm-hmm. I, I I assume as a youngster you were making things and drawing already and probably you into skateboarding and that sort of shit. What uh what was that? Do you remember that like bridge or that transition that that sort of led you down
0: a a new pathway in your life? Uh, Seeing someone do graffiti really set it off. Um, It happened to be at a skate spot that I frequented, and uh, some guys rolled up, did some skating. They were really good. They were older dudes, and they jumped in their car and grabbed a can of spray paint, and each of them tagged some stuff wasn't a big deal. I think they were just hitting up like their skate crew or something. But I came back the next day and did basically the same thing with all the spray paint that I could find in my dad's garage. And uh, and, yeah, I just set it off. I mean, it was really just seeing it and seeing it like, and it was the middle of the afternoon, I should say, too. That was the first time I'd ever even seen anybody do graffiti, period. I'd seen lots of it around, but I knew they did it at night. You know, and uh, I thought these dudes were pretty bold to just do it in the middle of the day, even though we were kind of in the middle of the nowhere in a dirt field where there was just this really skatable ditch. You know, and it wouldn't anybody gonna see us. You know, it was kind of why we were skating there in the first place. We were left alone, um, but that's that's really what set it off. And then I just painted all around that area. Um, every night for a while, and there was a freeway right there, and I thought, oh, why am I wasting my paint here? I should be hitting the freeway. And I started doing the freeway, you know? And then a name all of a sudden popped off as far as the streets were concerned. And it was this new fool. Was this wax style, these <laughs> crazy characters, you know? Really flipping some shit, but, so- you know.
1: When, so once you get once you start getting involved did you did you recognize that there was something a little bit different from you know drawing at home in your book or or whatever sorts of things you were doing prior to that?
0: Oh absolutely it was a totally different ball game you know um, I was drawing on grip tape scraps and selling them kind of as stickers uh, to my fellow skateboarders and that was kind of one of the first things I think where I put my work out there in kind of a public sphere, really shared it with people, um, and also started making money, even though it was just like dollar two, which was fine, because I just spent it on, you know, Cokes and candy bars, and, uh, you know, I was out skating and shit, you know?
1: I was, I'm wondering what, what type of emotions got brought up while, while you were beginning uh, this new emotions, thing, that's, okay. that's you know, like, you know, or, you know, you know how we yeah. get rewards from the creative processes that we go through. There's certain things that happen internally.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm wondering I, if
1: there was something that was noticeable to you, even at that young age, of like, holy shit, maybe was it like it could be like the defiance aspect of it, the the sort of um
0: anarchistic
1: well, facets to it?
0: All of that, really. You know, it, it blew my mind on so many different levels. You know, the size was one thing where I'm using my whole body. I'm able to draw things as high as I can reach all the way down to the ground. That was really, really mind blowing, and how fast the spray paint worked, and how quick you had to move with it to make it look good, and how difficult it was to make it do what you want to do. Um, all that shit, you know, and the fact that it had to be done undercover. I had kind of gotten used to from being a skateboarder because we did get busted just about everywhere we went because skating was so popular and we just blew up every fucking spot, you know, and uh, you had to be a little bit like sneaky about it. And from doing that, when I started doing graffiti, I knew all kinds of places where I could paint, you know. Just because I was looking down those back alleys or going behind that mini mall or, you know, ducking through that apartment complex. And then I remember, oh, shit, I can run through there if I need to run from the cops. So that wall over there ain't so bad. You know, I can hit that shit. That's cool. You know, but a lot of that still came from spending time on the street as a skater.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how that eye corresponds in the same way. The way the way you look at the, the your environment in a, in a totally different aspect besides... Someone who's just using the sidewalk to walk down the street,
0: right? Exactly. Um, I've been watching the old uh, Pal Peralta videos, and uh, also I saw that uh, Dogtown doc recently, and Craig Stessic is a character that always comes up a lot. And I think that he gets a lot of props because he was the one that saw that these young people were finding potential in the street shit that everybody else was just looking past. It was like street furniture. It was just like you just ignored it. And all of a sudden skateboarders were all over it, you know, especially the stuff that was a little weird, like building sites or abandoned areas. You know, that's where we really flourished, you know. And the same thing you can see the graffiti writers were doing, um, you know, I th- kind of the same thing. Especially once graffiti writing culture moved from the trains to the walls. Once the New York subway system uh, really shut down, writing on its on its own system. You know, it went to the walls, and then it became much more of like the skater. I think that's when it really connected that mentality.
1: It's that you know? it's that utilization of space, right? Like I remember when we when I the last trip I was up in San Francisco, I was talking about. How the um, tags on the manholes that people get up there in San Francisco are like my favorite spots because they're just some tiny little, you know, white out marker little tag, but it almost seems like this perfect little framed space that is where probably a majority of the people look anyway. You know, maybe not in a city like San Francisco, but it just, they, it's funny that just a little tag like that in a city full of big tags and, and, wild murals can stand out and it's that utilization like you taking taking a part of your space and making it your yeah
0: and that gets harder and harder to do you know um my buddy uh francisco the other day was telling me about all the old tags that he finds on the inside doors of the mailboxes because it's a spot that the, the mail service doesn't give a shit about, you know, you just throw your mail in there, you don't. You ignore that shit, whatever's inside there, you just make sure your letter goes down is all, you know, but for graffiti writers that can be a little treasure trove, you know, he was telling me he was finding tags from like 1990, um, you know, and I can understand that, it's not something I would take the time to do these days, you know, but I'm fascinated by the fact that people are still doing it you know, and that that's, uh, that's important, you know, it sure made me think about which mailboxes I'm using and what's written all i on the inside of them now, yeah, you know? Yeah.
1: Did you get in, I know you, you were into doing, um, skateboard yeah. illustrations once you got out to San Francisco, right? You were working with Think? Mm-hmm. I um, started that October 1st, 93. At that point, do you, do you have aspirations of doing, are you, are you have thoughts of doing fine art already?
0: Well, you know, as as I was growing up, of course, I was educated in the fine arts system as far as like my parents offered me books about all the classics and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I did look up to that. We did go to museums and things when I was little and uh, I had an appreciation for that. But of course, you know, like many of my time, it didn't really connect with me so much. You know, I didn't. It was this other thing. It was like grown up shit. And, and, you know, and when I talked to people who were in the fine art scene when I was in my, like, early 20s as a graffiti writer, they did not look at what I was doing as art at all. At all, you know? They were just very uh, condescending, you know? And I was just like, fuck them. They don't, they don't get it. They're old. They're part of this fucking fine art thing, you know? That's cool. Yeah. So the whole time, you know, even today, I haven't really courted the fine art system i feel like they've always come to me you know and that's put me in a nice position um where i can just be like fuck them you know yeah um but but there is i don't know it's one of those things i thought the, the to be able to boast about sold out shows in places like paris and milan would would feel a lot more like wow you know yeah but really it's it's not it's and, not. It, it can't compare to like bombing trains in London or fucking, you know, I don't know. I've had so many crazy adventures and shit. The fine art stuff has been kind of whatever.
1: But, I, you know, I want to preface that, you know, because I use fine art sort of as a general loose term because of just its, uh, you know, its connotations. But to me, when I say fine art, like I'm, I'm not even really necessarily uh, taking the the fine art selling platform mm-hmm. like the gallery into mine but I'm more thinking like along the lines of hey I want to make these things that will be uh, a marker of the things that I've learned and you know the whatever reasons mm-hmm. it is that we make paintings and and objects I, that will last longer than say a tag on the street I
0: like, see what you mean yeah I guess I, for me I guess that feels like fine art within the context of making artwork that's for your own benefit without regard to, uh, any commercial kind of, uh, thoughts, you yeah. know? And in that way, of course I was, have always been working that way. And in some regard as a graffiti writer, you're kind of dedicated to this one idea, you know, this one thing and you just do it over and over and over and over. And I was madly dedicated to that, you know, but as far as like, I don't know I think while I was doing the graffiti and for many years kind of through that and after I was just making really nice pictures I was just trying to really make refined beautiful elegant drawings um, without a lot of thought behind them or how they reflected what I was feeling in the moment or any of that kind of shit Um, I think it was around 2003 that I started to throw my uh, my personal life into the work and to then take the metaphorical images that i've always been playing with and making the metaphorical for my own life and for my own experience and that really uh that really flipped a switch on something as far as like what i understand is is fine art is where you're coming from it's like just really pouring out uh my experience you know for the for the offerings
1: so do you feel like did you go through the the tattoo um making process first before you got to that sort of mind state for for making fine art and turning it into a more personal thing
0: uh yeah yeah i had already been tattooing for four or five years uh before i started really uh personalizing the work i would say yeah because it you know it was like Uh, Part of me was like, if I'm going to be doing all this work for other people as a tattoo artist when I come home, I should really be digging into my shit. I should be using that time effectively, because I'm already just making drawings of stuff for other people. You know what I mean? Um, And also, I was going through a lot of uh, difficulty. You know, it was a time when I ended a relationship, and I had just done my uh, first retreat in France with Thich Nhat Hanh. And uh, a lot of shit was... uh, kind of coming around you know and I was living with my my old man for about six months that year and that was uh, pretty mind-blowing too <laughs> as far as dealing with ancestral karma recognizing that a lot of the things that I don't like about myself or things that are in my father that you know are, are it's not like a fault kind of issue it's just a matter of uh, just dealing with it you know what I mean just recognizing the real and uh, so that was a really cool cool time but you know in terms of uh just dealing with my mind and my heart through a deepening uh, buddhist practice the art got totally mixed in with that too and it, it got way more deep as far as i'm concerned you know yeah and so but you well, might not see it
1: yeah which i talk about all the time that like the making of these things is a is a very selfish process and then the the things that are left over after that process is done is that thing that we share with an audience with the with the larger whole and and what they take from it is up to them it's no longer it's no longer um part of our you know environment sometimes and that and that ranges from artist to artist of course
0: yeah for sure for sure i feel the same way you know i I, especially making the personal work you just got to do it and if it feels fulfilling in yourself, uh, it's all good. You know, uh, a classic example for me is a, a piece I did about uh, some Buddhist teachings called the Brahma Vaharas. And uh, I did an illustration where I, I wrote it out in this kind of show that we font, all the, the teachings. And this lady in France, a Jewish woman, uh, she saw the way that I was doing the S's in particular especially when they were paired in certain words. They looked like the SS from Nazi Germany, and she was curious to know if that was uh, intentional, and I was just like, holy shit, no. My God, you know, I, I, that's that's really fascinating that you saw so much evil in something that I see is rooted in so much good, you know. It was such a meditation on goodness and, and wholesomeness, you know. But uh, it just goes to show, man, you know, if, you, if you've got... Uh, an agenda on your mind you're going to see that agenda around you
1: and not only that it also it also shares or it, it exemplifies the power of symbols as well
0: shit yes absolutely I've always been fascinated with that because people I want people to question me about my use of symbols because it gives me a chance to educate them I, or for them to educate my ass on a lot of occasions too about some shit you know for sure you know but I pay attention you know, but I don't mind mixing symbols from different uh, different cultures, different times, because it's it's you know I know for a fact that it's all the same story, you know?
1: So real quick back to tattooing. I've had um I've had a few tattooers on the show now, and I know you're you're sort of retired. That you just occasionally tattoo a friend here and there when when you feel up to it. I had uh I just did a show with Aaron Della Vadova and mm-hmm. uh, Ben Grillo also did the show and uh, Mr. Honky Kong, Adam Hawthorne, as well. And every time we, we talked about apprenticeships and like, sort of what, what, uh, what it took to become who they were in the, in the tattoo industry or, or what, uh, what sort of uh, steps it took. But I, I keep meaning to ask people about that, or tattooers specifically about the tattoos that they have collected themselves. Because tattooers are always heavily tattooed for the most part.
0: Who's tattooed you? Well, my buddy Carlos that writes Mr. went out uh, in Albuquerque. He was the first guy to tattoo me. Uh he gave me a bander on my left arm that my buddy Joker uh drew for me. It's a graffiti uh took a graffiti design. And then uh once I moved out here to San Francisco, I got another similar band uh, drawn by Joker again. But the fucking bands, it's like the classic thing just to not get. And I <laughs> just thought, okay, I won't get it, but I will, you know, because it's like graffiti. It's not like tribal, you know, but what the fuck did I know? I, but still, they're cool things, you know? Yeah. But um, after that, I got tattooed by uh, my buddy Dano in Albuquerque. Um, I was, I'd go back to Albuquerque sometimes, and I'd, I started getting tattooed in San Francisco by Nala more and more, so they always wanted to see what I was doing, and we were always old friends from Graffiti's stuff, and they'd been tattooing for a while before me, so uh, each time I'd go back, I'd get some more stuff. It was kind of a cool gig, and uh, got from there. I guess once I moved to New York in the summer of 99, I believe, I got tattooed by lots of people. Um, Jason McAfee was working there then. I got tattooed by Patrick Conlon. Kelly Krantz, Uh, he was, I think he's still at Fly Right. Um, I got my back piece started by Nala. What the hell else did I get done out there? I got a whole bunch of tattoos there. And then when I came back after that summer, I got tattooed a lot at uh, New School by Jason Cundell. And uh, we built a good uh, rapport. I'm trying to think. Then I got stuff from Chris Kahn when he was still at Tattoo City, Scott Sylvia when he was at 222. Jeez. Um, and then back to New York, I got some stuff from Dan Higgs and uh, Chris O'Donnell. What was your latest one? <laughs> Jesus Christ. The latest stuff, I just got some. I got True Love on my lower knuckles and some stars on my uh, my upper knuckles, like the punching knuckles. Uh, that Juan Puente did for me. He's tattooed me the last few times.
1: One of the um, one of the things that I talked to Aaron Delavadova about was um, the sort of bond that happens between uh, a person getting tattooed and the bond that they share with the person tattooing them. That there's um, there's something a little bit more significant than just like a like a nice to meet you friendship thing. And he related it to to that. We, that someone getting tattooed is really showing a level of submission to, to another person like showing a, a level of um or you know just the fact that you're being manhandled to a certain extent by somebody putting a inflicting pain and you basically have, have very little to do about it and there's a level of um giving up uh control in that um but then at the same time, I like I related it to like um, something even just that like the transference of blood, like the bloodletting, that like there's that maybe something chemical happens in that process. That it's it's uh, I I related it to the there's a there's a theory that people who get um, kidnapped like all of a sudden grow a fondness for their kidnapper. I forget what <laughs> I forget what it is, but you know, just jokingly. Yeah. As a as a tattoo artist, do you find do you find that same thing
0: getting tattooed, or have you recognized that at all? Well, yeah. I mean, I I haven't really thought of it in those terms ever before, but yeah, there's definitely a level of submission that needs to happen. I mean, and the the like my rib cage especially was so painful that uh, I had to just learn how to submit to pain, you know. And that's a big uh, that's a that's a man building thing. There, you know that that gives you a real understanding for what pain is. You don't see entertainment in pain. You know it sucks. You know <laughs> it's yeah. terrible, and it 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 makes you lose your You lose control of yourself in front of your peers. You know, and that's when you you really bond as a, as friends. You know, and that's why the particularly rough areas of my body have only allowed really good friends to to work on me, because when I say maybe after just a single hour of tattooing that I've had enough, they're cool with that, they understand that, you know, and it's not like I've set myself up with a situation where I have to fly, you know, hundreds of miles away to get something done in a really terrible spot, and expect to sit there for a long time, I just, I've never been able to do it, you know, certain spots I could sit for five, six hours at the most, but, you know, usually these days it's like an hour or two. (laughs)
1: Well, speaking of sitting for a long time, uh, you had mentioned that after after you got into tattooing, it sort of led you into Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Was that... Hap- or maybe the things were happening around the same time? Is that...
0: It was always concurrent, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I... For me, the Buddhist thing is just an extension of my spiritual life that I've had since birth. So that's a constant, you know, and the tattooing thing is... Uh, I guess in this time, it's, it's our rite of passage. It's our bonding way, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's funny. Lately, I've been starting to see that if I look through history and I look through especially like that uh, Freemason book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages, um, I really understand that stuff, I feel like now. You know, I stuck to one path and I, I, I delved into it, but it's all... Uh, I've been able to see that the crazy stories that they tell in books like that and the metaphors they're trying to get across, I have likewise uh, experiences that in my own life, you know? And it scares the shit out of me to to know that there is evidence that I'm on this path. There's no doubt doubt in my mind, and I can see it in reading from all the different... uh, historical paths, you know. The one I'm on is, is a good one. It's yeah. bearing fruit, you know, but it's uh it's funny, you know, I never thought I never would have thought tattooing would have been Me part well, of that. But sure as shit it is. To submit under pain to a, another man willingly for hours and hours, you know. I've been tattooed by women too. I you know, I must say it's it's the same fucking deal regardless of gender. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. you know it's heavy. It's super heavy. That's why I think it's really important, and that's why I've covered myself in so many goddamn tattoos. You know, yeah. it's like if I find something that's important and powerful, I fucking do it. You know.
1: Do you do you feel like uh, I know we've had we've had a lot of discussions in the past about hallucinogens. Do you feel like like those were uh, a catalyst to sort of jumping you down this path too? Because for me, I I explained I explained myself recently that. I've taken this path of being spiritually. I was, you know, raised Catholic. Maturity turned me agnostic. Thinking I know everything turned me atheist. (laughs) Realizing I don't know shit turned me sort of into a physicist, sort of. Mm. And uh, physics has sort of pushed me into these ideas of Buddhism. Um, which I you and I have talked about in the past, which I've found a ton of correlations that, that are telling me, just like you were talking about with the, with the biblical stories or, or previous stories, that are just other metaphors for, for this life. You know? mm. but, but I find in Buddhism, particularly in other people discussing Buddhism, that it, it brings up pathways for us to, to live a more relaxed, wholesome life. Which mm-hmm. at the end of it is is really what I'm looking for as an artist. You know, I want to I want to live a free life to where I could do the things that I want to do, be happy, and do the right things around me so that the people around me are
0: also happy,
1: and and not have those anger and stresses in our life that aren't really supposed
0: to be there. Absolutely, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's why I keep trying this practice, you know, and and also. Like you, I've gone through uh, a lot of uh, like uh, self study after college. Let's say you know I've read tons and tons of books, more books probably than I read while I was in college. Um, you know, just to try to educate myself about all these different aspects of the same what I come to see is one. You know, um, which the Buddhists are just kind of nonchalant about. You know, but to really yeah, recognize that know. is a whole different story. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think in, in a lot of ways, that's the starting point, <laughs> you know, when you're physically able to, when your body understands one, that it's, it's not separate, you know, It's yeah. that's, that's fucking huge, but you I know, can't, I, I can't say anything about it. You got to do it, you know? Right.
1: Crystal and I, you know, Crystal has, has suffered for a long time with a lot of um, anxiety issues. And some, um, you know, like panic attack type of things that are real internal, like, situations that she hasn't had the proper tools to, to deal with. And has, has caused her a lot of, like, mental and even physical ailments. <clears throat> and so recently, um, I've been, since I started doing this podcast, I started listening to uh, the Audio Dharma podcast. Yeah. which is basically a, a, a lecture that sometimes is 15 minutes, sometimes it's 45 minutes. And the guy who I, I listen to the most, his name is um, Gil Franzdahl. Yeah, you oh, I've know him, Gil? Yeah, super awesome. And what I yeah. do is, you know I throw these podcasts on on the iPod for when we have like a 30 mile commute to work. And it turns out that that becomes that thirty minutes is really a high stress moment, right in the first thing in the morning. That sort of is what's setting her day off into like a, a a poor path. And without the proper mental techniques to get to to recognize what's happening, it's it's easy to just start your day off bad, right? So I I have her listening to these podcasts during the day, and it's actually creating these. Uh, this new woman inside of her almost where she's she's able to recognize where some of these stresses are coming from and it what what i find so amazing in buddhism is that it gives you these really easy things to to focus on to make day-to-day life not it makes it blissful and not not painful
0: right Yeah, I mean, that was the Buddha's whole point. He didn't give a shit about philosophy, science, physics, blah, blah, blah. All he gave a shit about was uh, the suffering that we feel day to day. That's just uh, a misidentification with this ego, that's this creative aspect of our thinking mind. And that we are, in fact, something more than that, you know? And once you understand that you are more than that, you start to see that your thoughts and your emotional responses to your thoughts are just kind of, uh, I don't know, you can you can keep them in check, and you know, you really can. There's a way to slow down your, you know, your uh, consciousness, so to speak, slow things down so that you see when you feel angry, you can stop for a second, go in your mind and be like, why am I responding in anger? What's going on in there? And you go, oh, why are you thinking about that argument from three yeah. days ago? Shut yeah. the fuck up. We're supposed to be riding bikes right now, yo. Yeah. yeah. Concentrate, you know, and then come back and be like, oh, okay, everything's cool again. But our culture doesn't teach us that shit at all. Quite the opposite. They keep us distracted. Right.
1: And that's kind of, it's funny, you know, it's I, I'm the same way. Like, I talk about. Uh, Crystal's anxiety as if it's something different than fr- than what I experience but it just so happens that I happen to express it through anger and frustration and uh, n- uh, impatience that it shows in that way but for her it's just more internal and, and causes an, an internal pain where I just lash out and I've started to understand just from listening to this guy 30 minutes a day to start a day off that I could look at anger and impatience and frustration as not me. Because we always say, I'm mad, I'm frustrated. But the reality is, this frustration and anger is something different than that. And we're attaching ourselves to these emotions. But these emotions aren't really us. And there's something in, in learning that, just just understanding that disconnect or hearing it, allows me to have that one little conscious thought just as I start to get angry or upset or... Or any of those emotions that turn out to be negative and, and make us feel that suffering. That uh-huh. I can say, hey, wait, what's happening
0: here? That's not Exactly. Mean. Yeah, a lot of uh, my Buddhist teachers talk about habit energy a lot, you know, and uh, habit energy is is one of those things that can make us great as a species, but it's also kind of our downfall, you know. It's like it'll take, uh, it, you know, it'll take me usually like three tries with something before I get it. And once I get it, I don't forget, you know, but then I forget that whole process of learning completely, you know. Um, so it's like uh, the Buddhist stuff keeps me rooted so that I'm. Um, it's it it's new habits you know it's it's like you're saying as as you start to uh develop your understanding of your mind uh through this practice, the practice itself is developing new habits so then when you feel anger, your new habit is to respond with curiosity, not more anger right. You know, and yeah, that's, that's just, that's super, super fundamental to understand, you know. It's like the idea too that no one can make you angry or make you sad or make you happy. I could punch you in the face and you could respond with a likewise punch to my face or a look of surprise or you could laugh, you could burst into tears, you could turn around and run, all that's based on you, you know. It's not me. I can do anything to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's one of those things. And that's one of those things in relationships. It's like so many people, I hear them when I'm in restaurants and they're like guys sitting around bitching about their girlfriends and they're just like, man, that fucking bitch makes me so mad. And I'm like, dude, you're the dumb motherfucker that's getting mad. You know, it's like just totally not tripping on the reality of the situation.
1: Yeah. The, you know? the, the reality is, is that they're mad at themselves for, for making dumb choices <laughs> and have, have. Or just projecting that onto others, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Putting the blame where it shouldn't be, for sure. I mean, we all, you know, that's, that's how it goes. You know, as, as humans, we're trying to find an easy way through everything. You know? So that
1: that's actually a good segue back to where we had started with that, um, sort of, uh, with the hallucinogens. I started getting involved again recently because I, you know, I, the last time we had talked about it a little bit, you know, I... <laughs> I had eaten mushrooms at 25 and was like, ah, that's probably going to be the last time. (laughs) But uh, as we had spoken about previously, I I had wanted to go get in the sensory deprivation tank. Yeah, me too. So um, I decided to eat some mushrooms and at the end of the trip, go get in the sensory deprivation tank. As a sort of like uh, relaxing period at the end of it. You know, sort of like the coming out party.
0: (laughs) What you think of as relaxing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It turned out it was the best part of the whole day, to be honest with you. Um, But I also tried salvia Mm. for the first time. Mm -hmm. Which, have you ever experienced salvia? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Ooh, that that I think has been my favorite so far. It's pretty mind-blowing, huh? I can't believe it's legal. <laughs> I know. that's I, jo- I had been thinking about it for a while, like, getting ready to do it, but then, like, yeah. I I knew that a lot of places were... or a lot of uh, politicians are wanting to crack down on that shit and make it stop. Because, really, it's, like, the most intense peak hallucination on acid, but for, like, four minutes. Exactly. And it, for, I could, you know... <laughs> for a lot of people it fucks them up but i was really prepared mentally going into it was in the right frame of mind and and took the the right steps to get to there you know yeah like so far as to like read up on the Mazteca Indian tribe where it was originally grown in you know south america and like pra- like go through all their rituals to understand what practices they went through to do it prior yeah. to me doing it instead of like some knucklehead ass kid <laughs> on just on youtube yeah, jumping around being a fucking idiot. So the net, the plan is to do DMT next, but
0: um I've Oof. yet I've yet to
1: acquire it.
0: Yeah. No, I feel you, man. I think uh I I mean you and I are experienced psychonauts, I think <laughs> is the word that they like to call us yeah. now. You know? Uh yeah, I've done way a lot, a lot of LSD, tons of mushrooms. This is kind of known for it through the 90s. You never knew what the heck I was on because I was able to kind of keep an even keel and saw it all as kind of a educational experience for myself, you know? Yeah. And I did it solo most often, 90% of the time. Uh, so when I tried the salvia, yeah, it really hit me over the head like a brick, you know? It was uh, an intense... Uh, hallucinatory state um, lasted for about seven minutes I think for me and I was with a bunch of guys who were in their 40s we were actually at a place where they were growing uh, got a few hundred uh, plants illegally up in the mountains of New Mexico it was kind of a stressful situation for me (laughs) but we all decided to try salvia up there and we were all just like super heads you know we'd been around you know and we were all a little concerned. <laughs> yeah. But we had a good time. You know, it was a, a, another one of those uh, experiences that I realized in the context of maybe five, six hundred years ago that would have been a bunch of wizards sitting around a table like, all right, I have some shit for you. We're going to throw you into a, a, a bliss realm or it could be a hell realm, depending on where your heart's at. So here we go. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, what you know, now I don't think of it that way. But, man, you know, it's... It's like, yeah, it's that way. Yeah. It's for cool. the first time, I, um, I did a
1: podcast where I, two of, uh, two of my friends came up and uh, the one homegirl tried it for the first time as well. And so we came up and we talked for like 20 minutes. Then we went and did a like a half hour, hour salvia session and then came back on and talked about it. And it, it, was, re- it was really great. Like, and I tried it a second time and started going back to that same dimension but couldn't mm-hmm. get there all the way, it didn't have the same effects the second try, so I just have to yeah. up, I just have to up my dosage,
0: yeah, I mean for uh, you know for me, the hallucinatory states i don't really i'm not I'm not all that interested in that anymore to be honest with you, I've kind of gone through all that. I think the last time I did l s d was an incredibly heroic dose, and yeah it, it humbled my ass pretty bad, but I could remember in my early and mid 20s when I was taking a lot of LSD, I'd run into older guys who were like just like me now, you know, probably about 40 years old, still kind of youthful and willing to talk to young people about, you know, some heavy shit. And there was a few guys I remember that said, "Yo, I know the place you go when you're tripping, and I know why you like it, but you're not really going to learn anything in there." It's just bells and whistles. It's a, a vision of another side, but it's not really the other side. It's still just playing with the things that your senses are putting in. You know? The way to really blast off if you're serious is meditation practice to go inward and to slow down. And through doing that you'll you'll find states that are way more powerful than what you can experience regardless of the hallucinogen that you're on because they last and you connect with God in those places. And I remember hearing that shit and being like, Okay, bro, you how much have you done? <laughs> you <know? laughs> like, yeah. Are you still alive, man? You know? But now I see they were totally fucking right. You know? And um Yeah, so now it's like I don't. I don't need to do that, you know. Yeah. It's it's like I can really sit down, and meditate, and and really blast off now, you know.
1: Well, so. I think what what why I brought that up too was besides all the times that we've talked about it, it, I think that it's that state that we get there where we realize that it is like just a one. There's a there's a wholeness that that comes with, emotionally mm. from from whatever that process is or wherever, wherever it is that our mind takes us, it, it almost always tells us that there's a oneness to everything, a, a whole. For sure. For and sure. So I, think, I think that leads into, or it lends itself to Buddhism and some of those philosophies to like, for someone like me, who is coming out of being an atheist, who is almost, who is basically anti-spiritual you know, mm-hmm. to be able to still attach my my mental concepts to something and then sort of start to understand that that's all just sort of made up in my head uh, via physics as well. You know, uh, I think that it, it makes it okay for me to understand that oneness from a more um, experienced level, not just some spiritual advisor telling me that that's how it is. Like yeah. having the opportunity to experience it myself and feel it physically, yeah, in what I perceive to be a physical body, absolutely. Like meant something and allowed me to take a more spiritual step. Whereas an atheist, you know, you're defending against a
0: spirituality in this universe. Yeah, sometimes but, you know, I think there's there's two things. There, like, first of all, I've certainly experienced the the oneness of all on some heavy trips. You know, sitting out on a rock overlooking the ocean and just sitting still for a few hours in a hallucinatory state. Like you feel connected to the earth. You can't feel where your legs end and the earth begins. And you don't, you see that you're breathing the same air that someone on the other side of the world is breathing. And that the same water you're looking at is the same ocean that's anywhere. Mm -hmm. Those are big things. And you, you know, also when you're tripping, sometimes that uh, physical high too of your body, your pulse your blood coursing through your blood, you know, it's just pumps so hard and you start to see that pumping action in the trees and in the grass and in people's faces, even, you know, it's like that, that connecting pulse, you know? And for sure I wouldn't have had any of those experiences had I not done the hallucinogens, you know, for sure. I think that was super important. It's like one of those things I I would never ever play it down and I would never change the course that I've taken. But at this point I think I would certainly, based on my own experience i'd be one of those old guys I'd be like yeah yeah the lsd is rad but you know try this other thing too (laughs) (laughs) well You you
1: know speaking on the other thing um how long have you been practicing meditation for now
0: i guess it was around 2002 uh maybe 2001 that uh I was really starting to understand a sitting practice, you know, and was starting to touch base more with teachers about the specifics of things. Before that, I was, you know, like you're reading everything, just reading, 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 and just sucking all that information in and making the connections and tripping out and, <laughs> yeah. you know, drawing it and, yeah, and talking about it with others, you know, for sure. But it's it's one of those things once it's like uh, the, Buddhist, the Buddha's ideas, resonated with me the most based on my own personal experience maybe because i was a tripper and had already experienced all as one it was like oh that makes sense i felt that you know yeah. of course i'll go for this program this <laughs> sounds great right. you know so yeah it's been one of those things it's proved it's worth along the way Let's well here see. let me
1: um let me bring up an example i feel like um the sensory deprivation tank is is sort of meant to be like a like a hyper meditative state because it 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 cuts out all those extra sensory things for you. You don't actually have yeah. to go through the physical mindfulness of of shutting those down on your own. Which of course is kind of like a little bit of a cheater mode, but you know, to each their own, if if that's if oh, you Oh, I don't think
0: so. I you know, uh we gotta remember that a lot of the ancients, the ancient sages, were cave people. <laughs> there was a reason that they hid away in caves. You know? they were away from people they wanted to be away 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 and into places where their senses were toned down so they could connect with god but god is within that's the that's the thing that's the eastern thing it's uh-huh. it's, it's not outside you know all that you need to know is already tucked away nice in your little <laughs> brain in your heart it's all there you know and and i I, I think it's good to, to do that range, you know. I mean, personally, I think it's important to be able to meditate. Like where I do at my home is right above the street, above, over a, a five-lane road, you know. It's noisy and there's crackheads all day and night, rolling on by saying horrible shit. Some really funny shit, too. <laughs> but, um, you know, but I think that's important, you know. That's another part of the practice, too, another kind of meditation. Well, that's sort this of, is, that, that know, was what I wanted to ask
1: you about. Um, as, you, as you get started into this meditative process, you know, obviously for someone like you who's been doing it for a while, you can sit up above a noisy street with crackheads fighting and, and mm. throwing shit and be able to still reach those those states of mind that you're that you you are attaining to now for me the first time i got in the sensory deprivation tank it took extra mental effort for me to try to get into what i am just going to define as the zone you know to start to get into those phases it it felt like it was a a, it was like that first step because you know sometimes is i know for me like i I sometimes do something new and I think that I'm going to be the best at it right away. I just kind of go into it with that mindset, that mindset. And then I realize, oh, well, the, and maybe as I get older, that's changing. But typically I realize, oh, I'm going to have to work at this thing. And then I get involved and put my mind to it. And then I do get good at it. Um, and I, I would assume that meditation is the same way. Yeah. That it takes it a little is. bit to get into being able to block those things out. Is was there something, or someone that sort of well uh, helped you? know, you? I,
0: th- I think it's key though. You're not trying to block anything out. You're trying to simply acknowledge the present moment experience, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's uh, you know it's one of those things. But for sure, like uh, my uh, Thich Nhat Hanh said, that you can't measure. uh, you can't measure how far you've gotten on the path in terms of like a retreat or a year even you know you gotta think it in terms of 5, 10, 15, 20 year increments and then you'll see that there's been some usually pretty dramatic growth if you've been setting your your intention correctly you know it's one of those things you just have to have patience in it and it kind of it shows its worth in time you know I I can say without question it does it's it's shown me some really scary shit too you know that I wasn't expecting at all
1: and with that I think that's a good segue because I you know I I too often on the show talk about how art is a meditative phase for me it's like I talk about how I paint the same painting all the time brushstroke 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 just looks different um, and with art, just like what you were saying with meditation, I can look back at myself with all of these things that I've made that I that I earlier defined as fine art and see these personal growths that I've gone through just in the the forms and and things that I've I've created over the last ten years. Like I can catch my personal growth in that. I think in the same way that you were saying with meditation, it takes that Ten years to look back and say, "Wow, that I really grew in that." And it, we do that too with um, with just looking at ourselves age, how we don't Absolutely. notice ourselves age until we look at that picture from ten years ago and see our baby faces.
0: Right. No, it's that's just it. It's uh, yeah. If you slow down and you can relax into the day to day thing, it's more like you catch you catch wind of those pivotal moments you know, and your experience, it's like, I, I can't look back. It's, you know, it's like some people are like, right now they're trying to find those pivotal moments when things are really going to change for the better for them, you know? And I always tell them, like, really, you just got to stick to your thing because you're not going to know those pivotal moments until years later. Or are you going to be able to look back and say, oh, I guess that is actually the physical day that it really came together, Yeah. you know? But it really, it's, 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 everything has to kind of be moving in the same direction you know it's like now i just set myself within an intention and i relax until the intention is met and usually once i it's met it's it, you know i don't realize it until a while after you know
1: and that, that's one of those things too with with buddhism uh, that's so great to to relate to modern day life is that it it helps you under, like puts you into like well today is today and all those things that happened in the past are the past and it's okay that whatever happened is okay and it, yeah you know you yeah. can be comfortable with right now and not concerned with the following minute
0: yeah totally you know but there's karma too you have to um you know the actions you do today will have repercussions in the future uh-huh you know, so you can't just, like, <laughs> kill somebody and then the next day just be like, oh, it's all good. That was just the past.
1: Yeah, today's a new a new moment. Yeah, that's yeah, true. No,
0: nah. I mean, no. on well, one true. level, that's the thing with Buddhism, there's always the flip-flop. If you could say one side, you can say the other. You know, and the other for me is, like, uh, realizing every morning that uh, my ego is basically dead all night. Who I think I am was dead. And that all that was left was this body and this thinking mind and the thinking mind left to its own agenda is dreaming that's what happens when we're sleeping right you know so it's like when you wake up you do have this capacity creatively to change your everything about your existence if you choose to you know or not <laughs> But you do have that capacity. You can quit your job today. You can become homeless. You can you <laughs> you can, you could lose it and shoot people at the post office. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like it's one of those things, though, that, you know, we think we're in control, but really we're not all that in control. The thing that's really in control is this vessel, and it, it's been working fine since you came out of your mother's womb. That heart just keeps on beating, and this thing just keeps on breathing, with or without you thinking about it. Yeah. That's a super huge important thing to understand.
1: I've been, you know, I've been talking a lot about lately about how amazing it is that our body heals itself. Just in getting like a <laughs> scab or something. Or getting tattoos all the time. I I, I get to watch my skin regenerate.
0: Nasty scab yeah. on my fucking I'm, knuckle right yeah, now. I bet
1: that's rough on that alligator skin up there. Oh terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um you're, uh, I guess we should mention you're in, the, you're in the Rebel 8 warehouse right now conducting yeah. the Skype interview. You guys yeah. got um, the uh, new line is getting ready to drop here soon. It's, it's already headed out to stores, right?
0: Absolutely. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, record shipping lately. It's been great.
1: Is that stuff going to be up online in the, the Rebel 8 shop pretty yeah. soon?
0: of course. Yeah, we make sure it gets to all the stores first, and then we uh, drop the bomb.
1: <laughs> i know i gotta get a, a i hope uh the tribal store down in san diego i hope still
0: have will get some of the new stuff in well you know you know me dude just ask me i'll, I'll send you something. i know but i like i like
1: to <laughs> support too you know what i mean yeah no and then yeah, at the same time i, I could
0: that too people all my best friends are that way they're like dude i don't mind paying for it dude it's the only shirts that i wear i'm just like Argh. all right
1: I know. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Like, and at the same time, I can go support the tribal shop down in downtown too. Fuck
0: yeah, you. too. Yeah, I mean that's that's essential. You know, thank God there's all those little stores out there that are carrying it, because that's that's the only place you can really try the stuff on at this point. Yeah. You know, that's important.
1: Yeah, and it's tough, especially in a city like San Diego, for those stores to be able to still thrive.
0: Yeah, for sure, it is it's it's ruthless out there man it's a recession and you know i think that we as artists we really forget that for most people the bottom line is the dollar they don't give a shit if they're buying something that's counterfeit or you know shady or just on some capitalist bullshit you know they really don't care you know i know i uh it's hard to fight against
1: Hawthorne wanted me to bring up the fatal shit, but I told him that you probably didn't even <laughs> want to talk about it, and especially I was going to bring up the eightfold path, and you had just recently did, or you did, you did a post about the four noble truths recently, and yeah. I know I know with right speech, talking ill of somebody is usually not the best way to practice that. Um,
0: well, no, and and frankly, that's not how I tried to deal with that situation. Yeah. You know? I, I tried to deal with it and kind of uh, let me allow me to tell you how I feel about the situation, and then you can respond as you wish, you know. And and it, you know, I, I went back and forth with uh, the artist that's been doing the fatal stuff, and I think we have an understanding. I think he was just coming from a different uh, point of view and in real base terms. Um, I came up through graffiti circles, and style and originality and stuff is, is stuff that we'll fight for, you know. It's yeah. it's uh, and it becomes your livelihood, as it did for me. Uh, so to have someone, basically just doing your work for somebody who I wouldn't work for, you know, I, I refuse to, and uh, then to sell to undercut us and sell to our corporate competitors, that's. It's a bummer, but that's it's not something new. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. I mean, I've been working in the commercial world for a long time, and I'm just as guilty of, uh, you know, I had to have some compassion for dude too because i I did understand on some level where he was coming from. Like, when I was doing uh, skateboards for Think, uh, the team writers would bring me in all kinds of reference material and things from magazines and books, and I never knew where that shit was coming from, and they would just be like, I want you to put this on my skateboard. Uh, Just do it, you know? And, you know, once in a while I'd get a a nasty letter from an artist, like, you just took the page out of my comic book and put it on its fucking skateboard you dick you know mm-hmm. and i was like i didn't even know yeah i don't i don't even know mm-hmm. who the fuck you are i would never seen you <laughs> before it comes the down in the thing man uh, i'm sorry homie my bad you know and it's like i know that that mentality is the mentality now everybody just traces to everything and they're not really bringing much to it and um yeah, fuck. What are you gonna do, man?
1: Yeah, for me, it has to get. It, it boils down to intention, right? Like if, if somebody's intentionally going, I'm gonna make this thing because I think it'll make me a dollar, then obviously there's something very very wrong with that. But there's there's a different level to like, I'm making this thing just because I want to make it, or oh. because so you know that's part of my job. Like if somebody like let's say he he's a designer at this place and. Or someone random is a designer at some place and boss man is like, you're going to draw this just like this right now because I write the paychecks. You're yeah. out of here. So obviously we all have our 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 own choices that we can make that we can get up and move. But you know, at the same time, a lot of people got mounts to feed, they got rents to pay, and maybe sometimes money tricks people into doing things that maybe their morals aren't all the way comfortable with.
0: God damn right. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. It's one of those things. I've learned that you just got to keep on trucking, you know, and there's always going to be what I, as a writer, would call a sucker or a toy, you know, and fuck them, you know. They'll learn or they won't. If they don't, they're still not part of my gang. You know, they're still not part of my, you know, anything I'm involved in, my mentality even. You right, know? and that's
1: sort of how I thought, like, it just it's just outside of your peripheral view, it doesn't really, if it doesn't affect you personally, you can, you can kind of let it go.
0: Well, that's why the fatal stuff in particular, I had to actually say something, because it actually is, like, fucking sucks, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's pretty bad. It looks, it looks just like our shit. And it's dude, cheap. I see people... It's meant to be cheaper, it's meant to get around us, I don't know, it's one of those things, you know? It's, it's something I've talked to my professional friends at length about all over the world, um, because it's a it's a it's a poignant issue for a lot of us because a lot of us came up through the street mentality and the street way of dealing with things and now as a forty year old man that's trying to live nonviolently, uh, you know? it's one it. right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind cracking some skulls sometimes. Yeah. You know, but I, I can't. So I have to just uh, I just have to draw better. Continue to to be better so that the biters are always a year or two behind right. trying to catch up, trying to, you know, because even at this point, the stuff that I'm drawing today won't hit the streets for like two years or, or sorry, just about a year yeah. with the Rebel 8 stuff. Um, So, you know, what you're seeing now is the shit I drew last year. Right. You
1: know. um, I had a question from a Facebook follower. Uh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Christopher Michael Kreath wanted to know if, your badassery is contagious, and if so, would you sneeze
0: on him? Uh, well, that kind of contagion doesn't come through us, like the badassery doesn't come through a sneeze in particular. I think that's more of like a conversational thing or a secret handshake kind of thing, or a, I don't know, exchange of girlfriends, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> something weird, but yeah, badassery. I love that word, that's yeah. a good one.
1: All right, my friend. Thank you very much for doing the show. I appreciate it. Okay, no problem. Here, let's problem. do an internet I, I dap.
0: Uh, yeah, crush. That's oh. cute. I tried to. There it is. You can see <laughs> There you go. Power. All right, my yeah, friend. There. Be good.
1: Thank you again. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no problem, Mike. Anytime. All right, brother. <laughs> see you soon. Hey, when are you going to come to San Diego? I should be down in L.A. pretty soon. Maybe for an extended period, so I'll, uh, I'll make it down to SD for sure.
1: Yeah, if you ever want to jump on the train, if you're in LA and just want to take the fucking oh, man, there's train, a train ride now. down, can the coast. I take my
0: bike on that train? Shit, yeah. yeah. Fuck. God bless California. <laughs> Stuffing it up. Yeah, because yeah. I ain't trying to drive shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, dude, you the know? train, it's so nice. It drives right down the coast, mm-hmm. right down the beach line, almost the whole way. Yeah,
0: dude. Okay. You'll see me this summer. All right, brother. For she's. All right, okay. later. Bye. water swirling there is something that will never
1: change and when I should have been done a long time it laughs and says I find ways just when we're
0: sheltered under paper the
1: rockets
0: come at us sideways